Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. So we're opening the show a bit differently for a little while. Hopefully you all know us. We're the Wilsons, and we are reading through the Harry Potter series together, me for the first time. If you want to know more about us and this show, please check out thefoxandthefoxhound.com. We are all living in an unprecedented time. For the first time in our memory, our entire globe is facing a common threat at the same time. We know how easy it is to feel scared and hopeless, like the Dementors are swarming. If you're listening to this, you are part of our extended family. If you need to talk to someone, consider our ears open. If you need us to tell you a terrible joke, all you have to do is ask. We're here for you. At the end of the show, we'll remind you how to contact us. And remember, in the immortal words of Albus Dumbledore, it's the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness, nothing more. Good morrow, everyone. <laughs> what are you like? It reminds me of role models with the, the LARP group, and the one guy just goes, rub-a-dub-dub! <laughs> Rub-a-dub-dub! God, I love that movie. I'm Fair warning, I'm drinking bourbon tonight. It's good. You haven't drank bourbon in quite a while. Yeah, I'm recording under the influence. <laughs> you, just, well, you just poured that drink. This is no excuse. It's already hitting me. Uh, before we start, officially start, I need to issue a correction. <laughs> As if this poor girl did not go through enough at the Yule Ball. We have been saying her name completely Pavardi. wrong. And, and the reason we've been saying Pavardi <laughs> instead of Parvati is because it sounds like Pafardi. <laughs> no, no. Pafardi. No. That, okay, that's legit never crossed my mind. <laughs> I've been calling her Pavardi, I think, because I really like cheese. And it reminds me of Havarti. I know. This kind of ruins my whole joke. I know. It kind of does. But her name is Parvati. Parvati. Not Pavarti. God. I do this all the time talking about this character. And I'm so sorry to her. I just like cheese so much. Parvati Patil. Parvati. Parvati. Okay. Now now all is right in the FFH universe. When I think of you, you still have on that hat that says Pavarti. <laughs> It's gonna be one any of, dolls fans out there. It's gonna be one of those shows. I'll oh. put a I'll put a YouTube link in our show notes this week for that song. It's okay. a great song. I love that song, but it does not have the name Pavardi in it at all. All right, we're back to our two chapter format after a raucous three chapters last week. Yes, and we have some stuff going down. Yeah, I told you last week that I really love the chapter, the egg and the eye, 
And I got the feeling that you two really enjoyed that chapter. And before we started recording, I told you it might be my favorite chapter so far of yeah. the whole series. It's fantastic. So good. So good. But before we get to the egg and the eye, we have to also cover the chapter Rita Skeeter's Scoop. Say that five times fast. Sounds like the worst ice cream shop ever. <laughs> Rita Skeeter's Scoop. Oh, my God. Can we please open it? God, why haven't they done that at Rita one of the Skeeter's universals? Scoop. But there's already a wizarding ice cream shop. Florian Close Fortescue's. it down or retheme it. You cannot close Florian Fortescue's. Floridian who? Florian Fortescue. He's the ice cream guy. Piragua. 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 He's, he is the Piragua guy. Nice. Of the Wizarding World. R.I.P. in the heights. The subject of Ben, he wants the, the backstory of Florian Fortescue yes. to be delved into. That's where you've heard that name before. Anyway, we're off track. It's going to be one of those days. I'm reading first. Everybody got up late on Boxing Day. The Gryffindor common room was much quieter than it had been lately, many yawns punctuating the lazy conversations. Hermione's hair was bushy again. She confessed to Harry that she had used liberal amounts of Sleek Easy's hair potion on it for the ball, but it's way too much bother to do every day, she said matter-of-factly, scratching a purring crookshanks behind the ears. Harry walked slowly back to Gryffindor Tower, lost in thought about Snape and Crouch and what it all meant. Why was Crouch pretending to be ill if he could manage to get to Hogwarts when he wanted to? What did he think Snape was concealing in his office? And Moody thought he, Harry, ought to be an R. Interesting idea, but somehow, Harry thought, as he got quietly into his four-poster ten minutes later, the egg and the cloak now safely back in his trunk, he thought he'd like to check out how scarred the rest of them were before he chose it as a career. <laughs> na, 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 na. How scarred. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. I love that line. So Rita Skeeter's Scoop. This chapter opens on Boxing Day, a holiday that we do not observe in the U.S. No. It's on our calendars, though. You always see Boxing Day on the calendars. Yeah, I have no idea what it is. It's just the day after Christmas. And what do people do on Boxing Day? I think there's like certain meals, and I think that's like, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that a lot of people like return the presents they didn't want. They I thought it was like they day. box up the Christmas decorations to put them away. Maybe that too. Or maybe it's got some kind of much more impressive like religious significance, but that's where I thought the boxing. Yeah. Or you watch boxing. I don't think you watch boxing. I like boxing. Yeah. Boxing day. Yeah, the day after Christmas in our house usually is very hungover because of our Christmas party that we have every yeah. Christmas night. So, yeah, the day after Christmas is usually like movie watching. I don't think I usually leave the couch like at all that day. But I think that it's kind of, you know, I think that's like Boxing Day in general. I don't know. Brits, tell us about Boxing Day, please. Or Canadians. Or Canadians who also have Boxing Day and also have the Queen. We start this chapter with Ron and Hermione just kind of pretending that none of that shit at the Yule Ball even happened. And being super extra formal to each other. It's really weird. I hate that stage when you're in that stage with somebody. Yeah. Ugh, I hate it. But it's, you know, Harry doesn't really care. He's like, fine, as long as they're not screaming at each other, I'm cool. But there, there's not really anything else said about it. They just sort of move on from it. It's over. It's done. And Harry's been thinking about this egg. Yeah. And he's like, well, crap. Now that Christmas is here, this is like two months away from yeah. February 24th when the second task is going down. 
and he's thinking about Cedric, and he's kind of like part of the reason that he's not doing what Cedric told him to do is one thing that he says or he's thinking is what you said on the last episode, right. which is like, well, he gave Cedric something specific, and Cedric was just like, take a bath with the egg. Right. He could have said, put the egg underwater. Right. But he was like, take a bath with the egg, if, if you know what I mean. And so Harry's like, man, fuck Cedric. Walking around with Cho, like, yeah, thinks that's he's not helping. Yeah, thinks he's Mr. <laughs> Quidditch guy. This is like classic male, like, jealousy and hating. <sighs> yeah, I mean, he's being really stubborn about it. Like, he's definitely feeling the pressure about figuring out the clue. But I feel like in this section, even Harry is aware of the fact that he's being kind of like he's being a little bit stubborn. He's being Ugh, what kind is he of like, what is he like? You know, <laughs> he's. I think he has some insight, not enough to propel himself into action, but he has some insight into the fact that it's just because Cedric told me this that I don't want to do it. And I don't like Cedric now because Cedric's dating Cho. Yeah. He was totally fine with Cedric until this, until he started dating Cho. It's a jealousy thing. Yeah. So Care of Magical Creatures happens and Hagrid's not there. We have a substitute. Professor Grumbly Plank. Grubbly Plank. Grubbly Plank? Yeah. Well, what do we know? We don't know how to say any of these names. <laughs> it's not, well, we know it's not Grumbly Plank. I can just imagine Professor Grumbly Plank, though, just walks around muttering all the time. <laughs> Damn kids. Damn flubberworms. <laughs> Shit, stupid job. But we have this substitute, and Harry is pretty bold. I mean, he's, where's Hagrid? Why is Hagrid not here? She's like, he's been indisposed. He's been indisposed. That's he, my Professor Grumbly Plank voice. Can I get a Grumbly Plank from you? You can You can get a Grubbly Plank from me. Yes, can you do... Uh, I, I keep saying Grumbly because I think she's like grumbling. No. she Grubbly Plank. All right, give me your best Grubbly Plank. Boys, keep back. They probably don't know why she's so southern. Okay, hang on. They prefer the woman's touch unicorns. <laughs> Stay away from them damn flubber worms. Get in the house. Get in the house. Oh, my God. You bring one of them screws in this house, I'm going to tear your ass up. <laughs> I'm going to paint your back porch red. She's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. <laughs> Grubbly plank took a weird turn. Wow. At any rate, she will not say where Hagrid is. She kind of thinks that Harry's just being nosy. Yeah. You know, the implication there, I guess, is that if she knew that Harry and Hagrid were pretty close, maybe she would sort of pull him to the side and be like, hey, maybe go check in on your friend outside of class time. You know, he's yeah. not doing so hot. Because right we know now. how sensitive and caring the staff is of this school. Just, you know, wow. But instead, it's just he's not here. Get over it. Here's a unicorn. The unicorn sounds wicked cool. Unicorn does not like boys. No, it's just like dogs and cats. Like Right. So while the girls are messing around with the unicorn with grumble pants. You cannot call her grumble Malfoy, pants. of course, Malfoy in true Malfoy form. What is he like? <laughs> what is he like? He walks up and is like, so sorry to hear about your giant friend, Pa. <laughs> Guess you didn't read the black paper. <laughs> I like your Malfoy. And he hands him the National Enquirer. Okay, but hang on. Has he just been carrying this newspaper article around in his pocket? <laughs> Doesn't it seem like he's just been carrying it around? Which begs the question, like, he was just waiting. It's premeditated. Yeah, he was just waiting for I'll his see, moment. I'll see, magical creature class. 
I'll shove his newspaper up his ass. <laughs> God, you, you've got a fixation the past couple episodes of things going up the ass. <laughs> like the golden egg going up the ass. Oh, wait till Harry's bath. We'll get back there. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. But this article that Malfoy very gleefully, you know, gets from his pocket and hands over is basically a really slanderous. I mean, is it slander? How much of it is outright not true? It's this scathing yeah. sort of indictment of Hagrid. And Dumbledore, really. Yeah. I mean, the article is called Dumbledore's Giant Mistake. <sighs> I mean, she can write a dope headline. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in here. The first thing is it's basically, guess what? Hagrid is half giant. Right. Which we know Harry and a couple other students and some people sort of overheard, right? I think it was just Harry and Ron and Madame Maxine. Yeah, we don't know who else might have been lurking around. Sure. Clearly someone else was lurking around. Sure. And so she says Hagrid's mom was Frid Wolfa, which yeah. of course I want to pronounce Frid Wolfa. Frid Wolfa. And so she was a giant, a true giant. Most of the giants were wiped out in this war between themselves, this like giant civil war. Yeah. And the rest of them joined Voldemort's army right. and were responsible for some of the worst muggle killings during Voldemort's reign. It's not great. This is when Tommy Rids comes back and becomes Big V and starts fucking shit up. This is around that time period. Sure. The yeah. giants are warring. Some have like run to hide in the mountains, but most of them are like, I'll just, I'll serve Daddy V. Right. Well, and the implication there too that I think is very interesting is that what does this make Voldemort as a quote unquote leader, tyrant, whatever, someone who preys on populations that are in discord, right? You don't hear stories about him approaching peaceful communities that are like just minding their own business this is an indication that this is probably like how this guy operated in terms of recruiting is he said hmm the giants aren't very happy among themselves not very happy within the wizarding world not very happy period now's a really good time for me to sow the seeds of yeah. you know come work for me my bullshit yeah exactly i can't give you a ride because my car's too small but you can meet me there what are you talking about when Voldemort's like, come work for me, oh. he's like, come work for me, but I can't give you a ride because you're too big and I have a Prius. Right. <laughs> Do you think Voldemort's environmentally conscious enough to drive a Prius? You never know with these people. You just never know. Yeah, because, I mean, Hermione mentions when they tell her, oh, hey, by the way, we overheard Hagrid's half giant at the beginning of this chapter. She's like, well, I figured, you know, that he wasn't full giant because they're 20 feet. Yeah. Giants are very big. Just TLDR. Giants are very big. What is TLDR? Too long, didn't read. It's like how you sum up. It's internet speak, hun. Oh, God. It's millennial language. So the biggest thing against Hagrid is that he's this irresponsible groundskeeper. Yes. He was expelled from Hogwarts. Dumbledore gave him this job. That's true. He doesn't really know what the hell he's doing with these creatures. That's kind of true. That's kind of true. His classes are kind of bogus. That's kind of true. And yeah. kids are like getting hurt. But everyone knows Haggard is a good guy. Yeah. And one of the students says, you know, I was hurt by 
a hippogriff. What are they called? Hippogriff? Griffin hip? Griffabiff? <laughs> I think I'm having a stroke. I think you might. A hippogriff. Some student. That was Malfoy. Right. That's what I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a student said this, and it was Malfoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other student said this, and I think it was Crab. Yes. And so uh, these kids... They they set this whole thing up. You make a good point, though. I mean, really, the only thing that she says outside of her flowery, descriptive language, which is what really paints the picture, all of it's pretty factual, except for what Draco says about, I mean, he was attacked by a hippogriff. That part's true. But like crab getting bitten by a flower worm, you know, Ron calls him out. And he's like, they don't even have fucking teeth, dude, you know, but... This is just one of the ways that I think, it, you know, it speaks to articles written about celebrities, famous people. Like, I found myself wondering before, like, if this isn't true, how would they be allowed to write it? But then when you really they can, they can, A, they can, they can write yeah. whatever the fuck they want. But also when you really read those articles, they're not presenting anything as being on this date at this time this happened right it's all about here's one event that's on its own pretty innocuous but when i use my paintbrush and i start touching up this event i can make it look however i want you to see it basically that's what the media does yeah so it's just i mean it's kind of brilliant So I've been dying to ask you this. Ask me. What do you think about Draco referring to Hagrid as the Elephant Man? (gasps) I knew you were going to notice that. I knew you were going to notice that. Now, you could say, oh, he's referring to how big Hagrid is. Right. But the Elephant Man, as in Joseph Merrick's, a.k.a. John Merrick, like the Elephant Man? Right. I think it's very interesting. I think it's possible. It was a, this seems so unlikely before I even say it out loud. I, it's unlikely in my head. And when I verbalize it, it'll be even less likely that JK Rowling like slipped up in making this reference that like, why would a pure blood wizard kid know anything about the elephant man? But yeah. it's, isn't that like, there's no way she would have slipped up in that way. We need to Google it and see what people say about need it. To Google Because that. if she's referring to Merrick. The Elephant Man, who was not a giant guy or whatever, but had severe, you know, morphological differences. Right. And was disabled because of them. Then he's basically like calling Hagrid a freak. Yeah. Essentially. Well, and I mean, I wouldn't put that past Malfoy. I don't no. think that that's outside of his character, you know, to, to make that reference. To me, the interesting part is the specific reference he uses, not even so much the sentiment. That he's getting across. That seems very likely. So Harry decides to go to Hogsmeade instead of working on his egg wash. Yes. Right? In the bathtub. Right. Where him and Cedric are going to bathe together alone (laughs) at night. Not not the way it happened. And they slide into the three broomsticks because in (laughs) Europe, children can go to bars. Sure. And, (laughs) And there's this whole series of things that goes down. This scene kind of reminded me of the scene in Back to the Future. Yeah. In the diner where like Biff comes in. It's been so long since I've seen you that don't movie. Know anything about Back to the I Future? I really don't. God, we need to go to marriage counseling just because of you not watching Back to the Listen, Future. Listen, I dated you for 10 
years before you started reading Harry Potter. So you wait until I, I start my Back it. to the Future podcast. Okay. Well, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're sitting there, who should they happen to see, like, in the reflection of the mirror behind the bar? Uh-huh. But old Bagman. Uh-huh. Old, old Ludo B. Yep. And he's over there talking to some goblins, right? And the goblins look kind of pissed. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, bro, like, listen, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but he doesn't really speak gobbledygook. Right. Which is what which the is goblins the speak. Except for the one word for pickaxe. Yeah. He sees Harry. And, of course, walks over because Bagman's the biggest Harry fan he's in the world. He's a big old Harry and fan. And he's like, oh, Harry, oh, so good to see you. And he s- talks about Barty Crouch. Yeah, and Bertha Jorkins. And Bertha. So if we recall from last episode, Crouch is supposedly, like, sick or something, has been out of work for a couple months. That's why Percy had to come to the Yule Ball Yeah, in his place. And I prophesied that some shady dealings were going on there. Right. That something, you your prophecy was that something was being done to Crouch. Yeah, like he was being poisoned or something. Mm-hmm. Well, Bagman says, oh, Crouch hasn't been coming to work. According to his assistant, Percy, like Bagman would have to get his information from Crouch's assistant. He's in the Ministry of Magic. He's so far above this kid. Like, he wouldn't know. Right. That's a red flag to me right there. He just, yeah. And the fact that he's like, I don't really know where he is. It seems to me like he's not being truthful. Okay. Okay. The goblins are looking for Crouch. Okay. I was wondering, yeah, because I was going to say the reason why Crouch even comes up is that Bagman says the goblins are looking for Crouch. That's why I'm talking to them. Now, why would the goblins be looking for Chris Ouch? All we know about the goblins is that they are financiers. Yes, they own Gringotts. We learn from someone in this chapter. I, I just remember reading the passage about goblins and them being, they're very clever, very tricky. You know, basically, even though they don't have wands, they can hold their own. It's from Hermione. Is it Hermione that she says, says that? Okay. haven't you read about the goblin revolutions? Right. They're not like house elves. They don't take no shit. Right. They're honey badgers. They are. Yeah. It's a bit of a shifty conversation, right? I mean, Bagman, before he sees Harry, one thing I've always noticed in this is that Harry notices that Bagman looks tense. His face looks tense. And then he catches Harry's eye in the mirror and smiles like he normally does, right? Yeah. Which is always an interesting thing to me when you see someone before they know you're watching them and then you see their whole demeanor totally change. Now, sometimes that's nice, right? If someone's really happy to see you and they just break out into a grin. Yeah. But I think in moments like this, a lot of times what you're seeing is shield, right? My shield's going up. Yeah. Or my face Harry, is going Harry, I've yes. taken quite a liking to you, exactly. Harry. Exactly. Let me ask you this. At the Quidditch World Cup, when they were up in the box, was that Bagman's box or, or Crouch's? I think it was Fudge's box. It was Fudge's yeah, box. Yeah, it was the minister's Who do box. Fred and George make the bet with? Bagman. With Bagman. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I was thinking if it was Crouch, maybe the dude's got a gambling problem. Maybe he right. owes the goblin some money. Right. No, they made the bet with Bagman. I don't know where the goblin... I don't really have, like, any clue where the goblins fit in here. You shouldn't. 
you shouldn't yeah. at this is point. Th- are they the reason that this book is called The Goblin of Fire? Well, the book isn't called <laughs> Goblin of Fire, so no. <laughs> so they also bring up Bertha Jorkins. Yeah. Does Harry bring it up? I think it's... He's like, oh, yeah? What, what's up with old Bertha? Of, he, Bagman mentions Bertha Jorkins' name kind of in passing. He says, apparently he's just been sending instructions in by Owl. But would you mind not mentioning that to anyone, Harry? Because Rita Skeeter's still poking around everywhere she can, and I'm willing to bet she'd work Barty's illness up into something sinister. Probably say he's gone missing like Bertha Jorkins. And that prompts Harry to say, have you heard anything about Bertha Jorkins? Bagman essentially says, you know, I've got people looking. We know that she arrived in Albania. Like, we we have a witness, basically, that she arrived in Albania, and then she left the cousin's house to go south and see an aunt, but then she seems to have vanished somewhere there. Bullshit. You Bagman, think it's bullshit? You know where Jorkins is. You know Jorkins is dead, you Voldemort-serving son of a bitch. Mmm, interesting words. I've got some sermons to preach <laughs> on these two chapters. So y'all need to buckle up. Take me to church. Ready. Yes, I'm I'm ready. Because they are starting to piss me off. <laughs> Bunch of <laughs> death-eating, sneaky, <laughs> no-good lying. So-and-sos. So-and-sos. Ne'er-do-wells. Ne'er-do-wells. No-gooders. After this rather shifty kind of moment with Bagman, Bagman says... What are we doing? Why are we talking about goblins and Bertha Jorkins? That's not why I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you so that I could see if you wanted me to help you cheat. Yeah, so how's the whole egg thing coming? And Harry tells him what he tells everybody. Oh, I have almost got it cracked, which is like a great pun, by the way. Really great pun, Harry. Good job. Oh, yeah, I've almost got it figured out. And he's like, well, you know, if you need any help, you know, or anything like that, you can let me know. And, of course, Hermione has to butt in. And say, isn't it against the rules no. for someone to cheat? No, Hermione doesn't butt into this conversation. She says that when Harry tells her about it, Harry turns down that offer all on his own. Oh, that's right. You're yes. right. You're right. Because yeah. he says, are you doing the same for Cedric? Like, are you helping? And I think that's why those two things are merging to you, because Hermione asked the same question of Yeah, Harry. that's right. Because Harry's like, mm, aren't we not supposed to get help? Right. And Bagman says, well, I've taken a liking to you, Harry. Right. Of course, young man. You're a fine young man. Yeah, I feel really bad that you got thrown into this whole thing. And the only reason I make that distinction is that I think this is a really good Harry moment, that he turns down this help, even though he's feeling the pressure. And even though I think, you know, we all know he's going to turn down the help, it's still really fucking cool that he does, you know? And the fact that his question are you also helping Cedric seems to be that that's going to influence his answer. Like, I think if Bagman had said, yeah, you know, I talked to Cedric, then he would have been like, all right, well, fine. You know, cool. Sure. If we're all getting this information, yeah. then fine. But he doesn't want to have that unfair advantage. And I just think it's a really good Harry moment. And Harry could also kind of be fishing for, is this where Cedric got his information about taking the bath? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Taking an egg bath. You're really. I'm meet so, me at the prefect bathrooms at midnight. I'm Bring really your egg. Super. I'm so nervous about this. I'm really nervous about the conversation about the prefect bath. 
So the next guest star to come into the sitcom door. Yeah. Dressed like Curious George's dad. What? Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter. In a banana yellow outfit. And pink nails. With pink nails, which Ooh. you would dig. No, not the pink and the yellow together. I would like the yellow outfit. Yeah. But I'm not a pink and yellow combo You know gal. Curious George's dad or like his owner? The man in the yellow shirt? Of the course I The man in the I yellow do. hat. Oh. <laughs> It's not the yellow shirt. It's yellow hat. You're you're being serious? Are you fucking with me? Listeners <laughs> who are not from America, our public education system, <laughs> as you probably know, are not the best Excuse in the world. Excuse me. I have a master's degree in psychology. I just mixed up the yellow article of clothing for Curious George's dad. The public school system didn't fail me. I mean, it did a little bit. So Rita shows up and is like, oh, Harry, how are right. you? And this dude bucks up to her. He He's like, you've been really ruining everybody, anybody else's life? Oh, I huh? love this. Shit talking ass. He gets so pissed. I love this. And kind of tells Rita off. And he, I mean, he's completely unprovoked. She literally walks in the door and she's talking to her photographer and Harry says, trying to ruin someone else's life. I mean, he instigates the shit out out of this. I love it. And Rita says something important. Mm. I know things about Ludo Bagman that would make your hair curl. Yeah. Not that it needs it, Hermione or whatever, but that's what she says. Yes. Mm, what kind of dirt she got on the Bagman. I thought you might be interested in that line for sure. I mean, Rita is, I've said it before, she's really good at her job. I mean, when Harry starts mouthing off to her about, you know, ruining Hagrid's life, basically, and she's like why don't you tell me a little bit about the Hagrid, you know, tell me why I was wrong. And she's like getting, she basically almost baits him into an interview and you can see how, you know, she probably got a lot of the stuff she said about Hagrid from Hagrid's own mouth. It's just the fact that it's the way she leads people into these responses. She's really good at her job. Interesting line about Bagman in there, for sure. And then they bolt. They're just like, screw her. Yep, screw this. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, Ron is a little worried about Hermione now because he feels like Hermione is going to be in the crosshairs for Rita Hogsmeade is like closer to Hogwarts than I thought. It's pretty close. Because like, then they walked up the road to go to Hagrid's hut. I'm like, up the road? It's very walkable. Yes. I mean, it it has to be walkable because they walk there. But yeah, it's, Yeah. um, it's very close. Okay. Yeah. Were you imagining it like miles away? Yeah. No. How would they get there? I don't know. It just seems weird to me that it's like right outside of the school. Well, I've seen the walk to Hogsmeade in the movies. And so that's probably why it seems so obvious to me that it's oh. it's walkable. Yeah. So Hermione's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. I've reached the end of my limit with Hagrid's pity party. Yeah. I'm done. Because Hagrid hasn't come out of his hut. Nope. The blinds are drawn or the curtains or whatever, and no one's heard hide nor hair from him. Hide nor hair nor Hagrid. (laughs) (laughs) And Hermione's just reached her limit. I think that she has this adrenaline rush from, you know, she did her own uh, amount of mouthing off to Rita Skeeter as well. And she marches straight from Hogsmeade down the road for an undetermined length of time walking straight to Hagrid's hut. And she starts beating on the door and she's like, okay, really, this is enough. We're done. And she's saying at the door, we don't care that you're half giant. Yeah. We think you're a great teacher. We like you. 
Yes. Like, please open the door. Yes. And the door opens, and it's the double D. It's the double D. I really like this because sometimes when you have a friend who is just making all kinds of assumptions, nobody likes me, blah, 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 things like that have always really irked me. And I think for the same reason that this is really irking Hermione here. And it's, what do you think of me as your friend? What exactly do you think I am as a person that I would judge you about this or that I would stop being your friend because of X, Y, and Z? You making that assumption makes me think that you actually don't think very highly of me at all. Yeah. Or you don't think much of my loyalty to you. Right. So I can see why she's kind of like forceful in this moment. Where do you think Haggard has been pooping? Excuse me? Excuse me? Where does Haggard poop? He just has this one-bedroom cabin. There's just like a chair, a couch, a fire. Presumably there's a bathroom in his hut. Okay. I mean, a one-bedroom studio apartment still has a toilet. Yeah, they just never talk about it. Why would they? I'd I'd like (laughs) to know the interior. Listen, he's also a wizard. I mean, if you can vanish things, Evanesco is the spell. To vanish. Evanescence? Not Work me up inside. <laughs> no, Evanesco. As I was saying the word Evanesco in my head, I went, Keva's gonna hear Evanescence. <laughs> Maybe he's vanishing his shit. I don't know. Okay, that's probably not important. <laughs> we should probably move Guaranteed on. Guaranteed not important. There Ooh. is a little conversation, a piece of the conversation between Dumbledore and Haggard that I wanted to read. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same one that I put with hearts around it. It probably is. And it says a lot about Dumbledore as a character. Yes. I've shown you the letters from the countless parents who remember you from their own days here, telling me in no uncertain terms that if I sacked you, they would have something to say about it. Not all of them, said Hagrid hoarsely. Not all of them want me to stay. Really, Hagrid, if you're holding out for universal popularity, I'm afraid you will be in this cabin for a very long time, said Dumbledore, now peering sternly over his half-moon spectacles. Not a week has passed since I became headmaster of this school when I haven't had at least one owl complaining about the way I run it. But what should I do? Barricade myself in my study and refuse to talk to anybody? I love that. Exactly the path. Do you see this? That says, love this above that line. And he goes on to say, my own brother, Aberforth, was prosecuted for practicing inappropriate charms on a goat. (laughs) I was wondering when we were going to get to this. It was all over the papers, but did Aberforth hide? No, he did not. He held his head high and went about his business as usual. Of course, I'm not entirely sure he can read, so that may not have been bravery. So Dumbledore's brother was an illiterate goat fucker. (laughs) Was? There's no indication that Aberforth is a was. Listen, what I will tell you is that the inappropriate charms with a goat is never really clarified. It's just that it's inappropriate. That's the word. That's the troubling word. If he would have said illegal or forbidden charms on a goat, I'm like, oh, he's doing a excruciatus or something. You know what I mean? He's Even illegal, the, I would have been like, like oh. inappropriate. Inappropriate is a really. I just imagine him in the forbidden forest with lipstick on, you know, the goats so dressed like Hermione. Stop it. Like it's Stop just it. Okay, a weird you've scene. You've now made this worse. I don't know how you did it because this has always bothered me and I'm not alone in that. This bothers everybody in the fandom. What the hell did Aberforth try to do with a goat? But you have just taken it to another level. That's what I'm here for. Ooh, but you're so right. It's the use of the word inappropriate. Ooh. 
Dumbledore refuses to accept Hagrid's resignation. Yes. And says, you will be at work 8 o'clock on Monday morning. He's saving him from himself. And Hagrid's crying, great man he great is, man Dumbledore. Dumbledore. So freaking sad. Oh, my God. Oh. And then, you know, as we all tend to do, I think when we're upset and, and a little mopey, we get kind of sentimental, right? And so Hagrid pulls out the picture of his dad and he's talking about, you know, his dad dying when he was in his second year and how, I mean, really we get the sense for the first time Hagrid's explicitly said Dumbledore was very much a father figure to him, that Dumbledore essentially kind of took over that place, that yeah. position when his dad died. Because I mean, if it was his second year of Hogwarts, he was 12 years old yeah. and without any parents, I mean, Frid Wolfa is out there somewhere, but she ain't no mama you know the only parent he's ever known is gone yeah and then he kind of explains his affection towards harry yeah and wanting him to win the triwizard tournament and he's like you know just prove to him you don't have to be a pure blood to do it you don't have to be ashamed of what you are you can do anything yeah so sad it's very sad and i'm gonna be honest with you i don't love this and i don't love this because hagrid knows harry well enough to know that what harry really hates is disappointing people. I don't think that Hagrid's deliberately manipulating Harry in this moment. I don't think that he's aware of doing it. But to me, this is just one of those times when if Hagrid would just think a little bit about what he's saying, you know, to put this yeah. this boy that you know is going to do absolutely everything he can so that you're not let down. It's a little bit of unfair pressure. I don't know. I just really don't. Yeah. I've never weird. been bothered by this until this rereading. And as I was reading it, and this is what I love about the series, like depending on where you are in your life, certain things will, you know, really strike you as so beautiful for the first time or certain things will really get under your skin for the first time. And this really got under my skin. I don't know. And so Harry goes back to his dorm room and it's like, it's time to start thinking about this egg. Yep. It's time for an egg wash. Because now. Because now. <laughs> for this challenge, you're going to be given seven ingredients. One of them must be cinnamon. And you are to create an egg wash in the prefect bathroom with your arse. <laughs> Bake. You're forgetting the on your mark, get set. Bake. Bake. Love Great British. Did you know the Great British Baking Show is just called the Great Baking Show? In England? No, it's not. It's not. It's called the Great British Bake Off. It's like in German Shepherds in Germany. They just call them shepherds. shepherds. Like, no, but true story, French onion soup, not called French onion soup in France. (laughs) No, it's just called onion soup. Yeah. I'm like, well, send this back. (laughs) It's still like the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. Okay, we've got to have this conversation now about the prefect's bath. Splish, splash, Harry's taking a bath. You're not going to finish it? God. Something, something, Saturday night. That's about the extent of the words I know, too. So, yeah, Harry decides I should probably do what Cedric says and go have a little private time with this egg in the bath. (laughs) Yes, which you can't even say without giggling. Yeah. So, at midnight, With Ron's assistance, Mm -hmm. Ron sort of bids him good luck. Yes. He does not invite Ron to the bath. That would be a completely different night. That would be a little weird. 
But he goes to the prefect bathrooms, which is this giant bathtub. It made me think about um, in Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he goes to Francis's house. And he's like, Francis is having his bath. And it's a giant pool and he has all these toys. That's how I imagine it. Like the size of like a hotel swimming pool. Like yeah. a small indoor hotel swimming pool. I think that's probably about it. It's basically my absolute dream. And there's different little taps that oh my turn God. on like bubbles and foam and I perfume. Want all of them. This is the best spot in the world. I want them so bad. Harry brings the egg. Just doesn't bring the egg into the bath. He just, like, sets it there. Which, uh, come on, Harry. Yeah. And then he slides into the bathtub, you know. Why is he sliding? (laughs) It's just, you know, a slippery little fish that he is. He just (laughs) slides into the bathtub. And he's just sitting there like, uh, I wonder what I should do with the egg. Nothing's happening. I'm taking a bath. I brought the egg. Ain't nothing's happening. There's a reason why he's not in Ravenclaw. (laughs) And then here comes Nosy Rosie. Nosy Rosie. We have not seen Myrtle. Moaning Myrtle in a while. We have like, Hello, Harry. So was it good to see her? Or yeah. were you like, uh Yeah, a little of both. Yeah. Like I was kind of glad that she was back, but at the same time I was like, oh my god. She's like, oh so you are Harry. She's like a little inappropriate. Yeah. Let's totally just be honest. Is. At one point he even asked her. So is this what you do? Come watch the prefects take baths? And she's like, not all the time. It, it starts getting a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, admittedly, it, it veers into some uncomfortable territory here. And Myrtle gives him this piece of advice. She's like, why don't you try putting the egg in the water, dumbass? Right. You and going underwater idiot. and listening to it. Yeah. So when he puts the egg underwater, it's this song. Yes. Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? You can read it. I really want to play this song when I have my Harry Potter themed hardcore band. Oh. I think that this would be a really good, like, the amount of lyrics is perfect for, like, a heavy metal band or a hardcore band. Okay, because what I will say is that in the movie, this is very much sounds like a very churchy, chanty sort of thing. Now, if you'll pick up your Goblet of Fire and... Turn to page 463 in the U.S. edition. We are going to sing the beautiful hymn. Oh my God. Can we do it like those two in SNL where, like, clearly Fred Armisen is making up the words and Kristen Wiig has no idea what he's going to say, but she matches it? Yeah. Okay. So you have to set the tune and I'll just try and match it with you. Come seek us us where our voices sound. We cannot cannot sing above above the the ground. ground. (laughs) (laughs) It was just as ridiculous as I thought it would be. And while you're searching, ponder this. We've taken what you'll sorely miss. An hour long you'll have to look and to recover what we took. But past an hour, the prospect's black. Too late, it's gone. It won't come back. (sighs) Yeah. So the second task is we're people who live underwater. Yep. We're going to take something of yours. You yep. have an hour to get it back. Once the hour passes, it's gone forever. Yep. Good luck. Yep. And Harry sitting in the bathtub wondering what kind of people live underwater? It's not his Let finest see. moment. Fish no. live underwater. But they uh, don't speak human. Probably ain't SpongeBob because he ain't come out yet at the time of this book. <laughs> And Moaning Myrtle's like, 
probably has nothing to do with the mermaid statue that you're staring at. I know. It's really not Harry's finest moment. And so he goes, oh, mer people. Yes. Now, here's a little aside. Okay. I don't know if you know this about me. I love mermaid stuff. Okay. I don't know if I knew that explicitly, but I am 0% surprised. I love things about mermaids. I just recently watched the movie Splash. Yeah, sure. I like the little not mermaid. for the first time. No, okay. no, of course not. Okay. Um, I love the Little Mermaid. Yeah. And I love that mockumentary that came out a few years ago. Are you about fucking evidence kidding me? of mermaids? It was so stupid. I love the idea of these like half fish aquatic people swimming around. It's so weird. And yeah. Well, and what I think is cool is that all of the different kind of interpretations of mer people that have existed, right? Like some of them are really beautiful. Some of them are very monstrous kind yeah. of. I think that's really cool. And the fact that the legend comes from sailors right. who claim to have seen like people with fins instead of yes. legs which some people think oh maybe they were like walruses or whatever it's not it's not but a very it, big compliment to the you know the plural half. of walrus is walry <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if like sirens and mer people or mermaids are supposed to be like are those kind of the same folklorologically are those the same kind of things hmm i don't know let's never look into it okay We'll never look into it. <laughs> Agreed. We also get a nice little tidbit of information about Moaning Myrtle herself, yes. the character. Very interesting. And she talks about Professor Dippet. She's like, well, nobody cared when I died. N no one came to look for me for hours until Professor Dippet walked in and found my body. Well, Professor Dippet sent Olive Hornby. Oh. To go look for her. So Olive Hornby found her body at the bequest of Professor Yeah, Dippet. Olive Hornby in the range. All, that right, yeah. exactly. Yes. Olive Hornby in the range. And Myrtle, like, stalked her as a ghost. Yeah. Wow. Went to her, like, brother's wedding or something and yeah. messed some stuff up. And then, like, the ministry got involved. Like, it's a problem. She said, I never let her forget it until the day she died. So, yeah. So, Olive Hornby is apparently dead. We don't really know how. Awkward. Right? Little Listen backstory about the Mer mermaid rain. <laughs> What's the Bruce Hornsby song from Whitewater Summer that you love so much? I know you're out there somewhere on the Western, Western skyline. skyline. Western Skyline. That's called Western Sky. Well, yes, that makes sense. It is a terrific song. Okay. Folks, if you have not seen <laughs> the 80s movie starring Kevin Bacon and Sean Astin called Whitewater Summer, <laughs> stop listening to this podcast right now. No. And Don't find find a time machine so you can go to a VHS store, a blockbuster. You know that shit never came out on DVD. <laughs> the hell you say i've got it on dvd you, i know you do and on vhs but here's the thing listeners kevin only watches whitewater summer when he has had a lot to drink <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite story and i i swear i may have actually told this on the show before but it's that good i'm gonna tell it again is that there was one night i don't remember why Kev's not a big drinker, but there was some occasion he was celebrating and he had fallen asleep on the couch and he had put Whitewater Summer on. But at some point he had paused it and come to bed. Well, in the middle of the night, I heard that song, which is at the beginning of the movie, playing. 
And I came out and Whitewater Summer was just playing. And I noticed that one of the cats had was nearby the remote, had stepped on the remote. Yeah, I think the DVD had run out and was back on the menu or Probably. something. And they somehow hit play on it. And I told Kevin about this the next morning, just like giggling. The cats turned on Whitewater Summer and he very seriously looked at me and said, were they drunk? (laughs) (laughs) It was such a good moment. So for Harry to get up here to the prefect bathroom, he brought the invisibility cloak, old standby. Oh, yes. And the Marauder's Map. Of course. So he can tell if there's like filters nearby or Snape or someone like that. And the ass egg, which doesn't go yes. in the ass. Yes. <laughs> yes. Although it does remind me of the Yanni egg, which is a an egg that one might put up one's vagine. Have you heard about this? It's like a Gwyneth Paltrow goop thing. The Yanni egg? Yeah. Yanni? Like the musician? It's not. It's spelled different, I think. What is a Yanni egg? It's like a marble or crystal egg i mean i don't do you have walk one. around with it in there yes supposedly what's it supposed to do i don't know something with chakras oh thing comes right out <laughs> what why are you why did you make that sound because it'd be like you lay in an egg if you could like oh, pop God. it out it's really so wrong why i don't know it just re- famous cello player falls out <laughs> <laughs> imagine, you're, imagine you're in the supermarket and some woman is standing behind you and she just goes, Mah! and this egg comes out of her pants leg and then it starts to crack like in Jurassic Park. No. And then no. you see a little cello start to pop up out of it oh, and it's Jesus. a little baby Yanni. BD Wong is like crouching over it excitedly. Yeah, he's peeling back the layers yeah. and there's Yanni inside. <laughs> This has gotten very And he's weird. playing the score from Goblet of Fire on his cello. Ooh. ooh. You would be like, my acid's definitely starting to kick I have, in. I think my acid is starting to kick in in this conversation. I have not taken any acid, just in case I needed to clarify that. Ooh, it's a silly one. So he's looking at the Marauder's map. He's like, okay, looks like I'm good. I don't see filter anybody around. I think right. I'm good to sneak back. He does see... Some movement going on in Snape's office. Yeah. And it's Bartimius Crouch. Bartimius Crouch. Barty C. Barty C, who is supposedly too ill to come to the Yule Ball, too ill to do X, Y, and Z, isn't even coming to work anymore. And now it's one o'clock in the morning and he's in Snape's office. And Harry also has the thought, rule following Bartimius Crouch. Like, this is a rule abiding man yeah we think that a lot about a lot of people in this book sure you know so definitely an unexpected result to see on the marauders map and he sees this dot kind of essentially like the movement is implying that he's searching looking pilfering moving around that space on the map moving around stopping moving around a little bit more stopping you know it's a very kind of characteristic pattern of movement that he's observing and of course being hairy he's like you know one part of me thinks i should just go to bed and the other part of me is like what the fuck is this guy doing in snape's office i'm gonna go find out and i don't blame him i mean he's got the invisibility cloak he's on the high of the prefect bath egg clue success you know of course he's going to go check yeah. it out. So Harry has the most derp moment here. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's understandable, though. Because this stupid school is a fun house. I mean, the trick step, I have found myself wondering, like, why does this exist? It's got to be a Peeves thing. 
Yeah, it's another one of the little weird gags of the school. And it's the thing that Neville's always... Yeah, and so instead of just stepping on a solid step, your foot kind of goes down and gets caught in this weird magical ether or something. Yes, God, the most tense, frustrating, like, five pages. But written so well. Written so well. So he drops the egg. It yes. goes dong da dong da dong da dong. It's a metal egg you rolling down it. these stairs oh. at one o'clock in the morning. Ooh. Also drops the Marauders map. Yep. Instantly tries to like get the Marauders map back. That's it. Or at least wipe it. What he wants to do is touch it with his wand and erase it. Which do you remember what you say to erase it? Mischief managed. Yes. Very good. Look at me. Look at you. And so now we have the Marauders map and the egg laying there. And the egg flies open and starts wailing. Yeah, screaming this god-awful mer-metal. Mer-metal. <laughs> I love it. I want to start a mer-metal band. You absolutely should. And here comes Filch. Because mm-hmm. Filch is, he's the guy. He's always kind of walking around at night. Without fail. He's kind of a caretaker dude. Oh, yeah. With his dumb cat. So <laughs> Mrs. Norris. He comes and finds the egg. And is like, hmm. It's kind of freaking weird. Damn it, Peeves. Right. Of course. Who's out here making all this ruckus? It's got to be freaking Peeves. Yes. But he also is kind of gleeful because he's like, hmm, I recognize this thing. This is the egg that was given to the different champions that they had to recover from the dragon. Peeves has been stealing from students. This is finally going to do it. He's going to be gone. This is the evidence I need to send Peeves a pack in. Yeah, Dumbledore will definitely kick him out if he knows he did something this egregious. Oh, he's so happy. He's so happy. And so, you know, part of what's written so well here is these, I mean, seconds that are passing where, like, Harry knows that, like, another step and Filch is literally going to walk right into him, invisible, in the stair. He doesn't know if Mrs. Norris can see through cloaks. He's wondered about that before. Norris is like looking towards him. Yes. He thinks maybe she can smell me because I have all this perfume on. And probably she can, you know. And he also knows that when Filch peers behind the big drapery and doesn't see Peeves, that like basically he's going to turn that direction and go upstairs. And I mean, Harry is like completely fucked in this and moment harry can't sneak back up the stairs because he's literally stuck he's stuck i'm so glad that she found this device <sighs> you know she was pacing around her apartment like why can't harry move right. how does harry get stuck with the invisibility cloak there has to be some reason why he can't get up and sneak away and it's this step right because in the past when neville has gotten stuck in it They've had to pull him out. You know, this isn't like, it's not just a minor annoyance. It's like they always skip over this step because it's a, you literally need assistance. It's like stepping in tar, concrete or something. Yeah, it's bad. So then, as it's stated in the text, the only person that would make the situation worse shows up and it's Snape. Mm, mm, mm. And this is a really interesting exchange here. Okay. What's interesting about this exchange between Snape and Filch? Well, I want to read a little piece of this. Okay. So Filch, it's Peeves, Professor. Filch whispered malevolently. He threw this egg down the stairs. 
Snape climbed up the stairs quickly and stopped beside Filch. Harry gritted his teeth, convinced his loudly thumping heart would give him away at any second. Peeves, said Snape softly, staring at the egg in Filch's hands. But Peeves couldn't get into my office. This egg was in your office, Professor? Of course not, Snape snapped. I heard banging and wailing. Yes, Professor, that was the egg. I was coming to investigate Peeves through it, Professor. And when I passed my office, I saw that the torches were lit and a cupboard door was ajar. Somebody has been searching it. But Peeves couldn't, I know he couldn't filch. Snape snapped again. I seal my office with a spell none but a wizard could break. Snape looked up the stairs, straight through Harry, and then down into the corridor below. I want you to come and help me search for the intruder, Filch. Damn, Neil Simon play there for a second. Crazy. Yeah. So Snape drops this information like, he couldn't have got into my office. No one could have gotten into my office. And Filch says, wait, the egg was in your office? And he's like, no, what what are you talking about? And then just keeps on talking. I don't think it was a slip up. I think he was planning that for Filch. Interesting. Okay, because as a reader, I think when Snape first says but Peeves couldn't have gotten into my office. It almost, you're like, uh, uh, but hang on. Filch doesn't know that anyone's been in Snape's office, right? Like as a reader, only Harry has that information. Like it's a very tricky little bit of dialogue there. And so apparently Snape, wherever he is in the geography of the school, hears this banging, goes to check it out, walks past his office, Makes sense that he would be somewhere near his office. Sure. Maybe he's just locked it up and he's going home, whatever. And sees that somebody has broken into his office. Right. Yeah. Very strange. Very strange indeed. He sees the torches lit. He's clearly not okay with this. You know, Snape, nobody really takes Filch seriously, but Snape has never been, I mean, he's never been nice to anybody, but he's definitely not been nice to filch and to actually say i want you to help me with this that takes a lot right yeah it makes me think he's got some purpose behind it interesting he's trying to legitimize something okay okay and i don't know if this is a setup right or not but i do have some theories that will unfold in my prophecy oh i'm excited well, we have another member join the party. Oh, my God. <laughs> now the soup is getting thick. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Mad-Eye Moody. Mad-Eye Moody has arrived. Who we know can see through the invisibility cloak. Yes. Yes, he can. Because very conveniently, J.K. Rowling has mentioned that, not this past Hogsmeade weekend, but the one before that Mad-Eye could see through the cloak. And so Snape and Moody start talking. And you know, Snape is batshit scared of moody everyone's afraid of moody yeah moody's kind of like an fbi agent type of dude he's like oh really who do you think it could be who do you think break into your office snape he's kind of like doing what he does with snape absolutely and snape says probably a student it's happened before some students broke into my office and stole potion ingredients and i'm like oh my god (laughs) We know who that was. Yes, Yikes. we do know who that was. Oh, my God. And Snape says something very interesting. Mm. You know there's nothing shady in my office. You've searched it enough times. Yeah. And Mad-Eye Moody says, ours privilege. Right. So there's some sort of, like, almost, like, house arresty type of thing. Like, it's almost like Snape's on probation. Like, right. your probation officer can come to your house. And be like, yo, I need to see that you live here. 
Yes. And Moody says, Dumbledore told me to keep an eye. Dumbledore happens to trust me, said Snape through clenched teeth. I refuse to believe that he gave you orders to search my office. Of course, Dumbledore trusts you, growled Moody. He's a trusting man, isn't he? Believes in second chances. But me? I say there are spots that don't come off, Snape. Spots that never come off. Do you know what I mean? And at that moment, Snape grabs his own arm. He yeah. takes his like right arm and grabs his left arm. Yeah. As if it's in pain. Right. It's almost like Moody has marked him somehow and is like triggered this like shock collar thing of like easy bubba. There's something very interesting. It's like a house arrest here. bracelet, like one of those ankle bracelets that people get when they're on house arrest, but yeah. maybe like with the shock collar technology in it. You seem to know a lot about house arrest. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't we all at this point? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Don't we all? Quarantine COVID-19 house arrest. And then there's this really, really, really interesting thing. Okay. That I would like to read. Okay, read it. First of all, let's talk about the Marauder's Map. Yes. So he's like, oh, what looks like you dropped something here. Right. And Snape sees the egg, sees the Marauder's Map, and is like, Potter. Yes. Harry freaking Potter. I knew it. Yup. He knows that that map belongs to Harry, you know, what, using air quotes. We had this whole thing with Snape and Lupin and Harry and the map in the last book, the confrontation between those three. So Snape knows that Harry's connected to that map. Yes. So he's like, oh, one of the championship kids, right. the one that owns the Marauders map. And now he's like, I know that little bastard's in his cloak somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere around here, that little bastard's in his little <laughs> invisibility cloak that his daddy gave him. Yeah, his, his daddy. daddy who I hated. Who I hated. <laughs> and so he's saying, you know, what you were talking about, like, hmm, very interesting to know. Maybe you got it out for this kid. Right. Dumbledore would be very interested to know. Why, why are you so obsessed with Harry Potter? Why are you so obsessed with me? We all know that somebody's probably out to get him, and that's right. why his name was put in the Goblin of Fire. Goblet of <laughs> Fire. Pimp, pimp Cup of Fire. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is interesting because at this point— Moody has seen Harry. He's seen him through the cloak. Harry has done the kind of Hail Mary pass here because at this point, he doesn't know that Moody is going to like save his ass and bail him out. He just is like, if Snape gets this map in his hands and for sure knows it's me, I am 100% dead. And with Moody, maybe there's a chance I'm not completely dead. So he starts motioning to Moody under the cloak, it's mine, talking about the parchment. Yeah. And Moody, I think, I've always read this as he's sort of diverting the attention. He's like, Potter, why do you bring up Potter? Interesting you'd bring up Potter now that everyone's so concerned about who put his name in the cup. Yeah. Maybe Dumbledore would be interested. So it's like his way of kind of... Of making him back off Potter because his yeah. eye is looking straight at Potter. Yes, absolutely. And so I think that's the moment as a reader when you go, oh, maybe he's going to help him out here. Mm -hmm. And he does. So after they skedaddle off, yeah. Moody comes and talks to Harry mm -hmm. and is like, hey, what's up, kid? What <laughs> nice you up? cloak. What you up to? <laughs> no, nah, that's cool. 
Yeah, and Harry's like, uh. <laughs> he's like, what's up with this map, bro? What's this do? And he's like, oh, it's pretty cool, actually. Like, you can see where anybody is in the school by looking at it. And he's like, killer, killer. Like, it's awesome, man. He's not even mad at him or anything. No, he's not mad. He's like, whoa, this is a pretty handy little device. When you think about what Aurors do, what we know about Aurors at this point, like, can you imagine a better tool? Yeah. You know? So I have a little aside here. Okay. And the reason that this happened is because I was outside reading, taking my notes, and I decided, which I sometimes do when I read, to play the score of the film of the book that I'm reading while I'm reading it. Okay. So I was listening to the score of The Goblet of Fire. Yes. Just don't look at the track names because those might be spoilery. I just press play. Oh, yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't know okay. what's going on. Listening to it and reading, it dawned on me, wouldn't it be awesome to have a themed reading room? <gasps> a little room. It could even be as small as like a walk-in closet. A cupboard under the stairs, A perhaps? cupboard under the stairs, like a walk-in closet. Have it fully themed with like a fake gas lamp. Stop it. So it has that Hogwarts type of feel to it. Oh, and you could just sit in there and have music and you could listen to Harry Potter music while you read the How series. How dare you? I know. I knew that this would get you. You do realize that now we have to make this happen. Now you need this. I need this. We, there's nowhere in our current house that that would work, right? No. So we need to build you that room. Yeah. We're, we're building that room. Now, here is my favorite part of this whole little exchange right here. Okay. Moody's talking to Harry. Right. Right. Ask him if he can borrow the map. Harry's like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> sure. I kind of owe you one, but He's like, sweet. I could use this right now. Moody says something to the effect of there's nothing worse than a death eater who walked free. Yeah. And we're like, Snape? Is it Snape? Is Snape a death eater who's on probation and he's on house arrest with the shock arm treatment? Shock arm charm? I don't don't know. I do know. Moody says, oh, if there's one thing I hate, it's a death eater who walked free. Another couple interesting little tidbits. Harry asks him, what do you think Bartimius Crouch was doing in Snape's office? And Mad Eye's like, oh, they think I'm paranoid. I got nothing on Barty Crouch. Yeah, this dude is paranoid too. Right. Now, do we have any inkling or any information suggesting that Barty Crouch is also an R? No, Barty Crouch is, it's assumed that he's not an Auror. He works for the ministry. Now, an yeah. Auror, the Auror department is a department of the ministry. Yeah. So they would have all worked in the same government building right you know just for different departments there's a lot here right there is definitely a lot here and then mad eye says to harry have you ever thought about being an or so that's kind of an you need to you need to right and so he's kind of and harry's like a little bit oh okay you know like a a little bit yeah like "Mm." this is like when one of your professors says like Amanda, you did very well in the last exam. Ever thought about going into teaching? Ever thought about publishing an article in a journal? And you're like, well, now that you mention it, maybe I should. Right. And remember that Mad-Eye Moody is kind of widely regarded, even though he's retired now, as like the greatest aura of all time, saying, hey, have you ever thought about going into this line of work? He's the goat. He's the the goat. He is the goat aura. 
Not to be confused with Aberforth's goat who had inappropriate things done to it. <laughs> In a bathtub with an egg. It's just all getting a little strange. Yeah. Wait, this is our second painting. Oh my God, no. Mermaids swimming around, Velvet Boys coming off the diving board. You know Velvet. Okay, Velvet Boy was very much in my soul when I was reading about the prefect's bathroom. Like, this is Velvet Boy's home. I think that Velvet Boy was like spawned from the prefect's bathroom. He <laughs> <laughs> came out of it. He hatched out of an egg. <laughs> Why is this so weird? It's because we're recording this in the Yanni's evening. Yanni's playing, playing the mermaid song. <laughs> we normally record in the morning. And, and we're not we're so not. squirrely. Oh, man. Okay. Oh. Well, speaking of prophecy, which I'm really hoping is not about the Yanni egg and, and Jurassic Park and, Jurassic and, and all, and all of that, stuff, right? Yeah. What is your prophecy this week? This is going to be a hard one to like sum up. Okay. This prophecy is more of like a, a little sermon here. <laughs> okay. All of this exchange here at the end of this chapter made me think about. The little conversation that Karkaroff and Snape were having during the Yuletide ball outside right before Maxime and Haggard had their little giant conversation. Okay. In which Karkaroff says, and I would like to go back and read this. Sure. Sarah, you cannot pretend this isn't happening. Karkaroff's voice sounded anxious and hushed, as though keen not to be overheard. It's been getting clearer and clearer for months. I'm becoming seriously concerned. I can't deny it. Then flee said Snape's voice curtly. Flee. I'll make your excuses. I, however, am remaining at Hogwarts. Yes, I remember that conversation. The Triwizard Tournament is part of an elaborate setup. Okay. Remember when we were talking about McMillions? Mm-hmm. And the whole FBI sting? Mm-hmm. And the FBI works. They have, like, a confidential informant. And then they trick the people into giving some sort of evidence they can use in court. Then they take this step, this step, and they have people at differing types of levels, right? So in this whole, the Triwizard Tournament is part of a setup to ensnare these rising Death Eaters Ooh. that are moving towards this return of Voldemort. Okay, okay. So you feel like, because I think that your prophecies, you've kind of oscillated between thinking that the Triwizard Tournament was something set up for good and something set up for not so good. And and I, I feel like maybe you're kind of going back to the side that... Do I think that the Triwizard Tournament is a chance for the bad people to kill Harry? Yes, but it's a trap. Oh, it's a trap. It's a trap. Like the guy from why Karkaroff of all the schools. Yeah. Why this school? Why bring Karkaroff, who we know is a Death Eater, who Dumbledore must know is this Death Eater guy? Right. Karkaroff, Harry Potter's name being put in the Goblet of Fire, Mm -hmm. Bagman, Crouch and Moody, Dumbledore only knowing what he knows, all of these things. So it's an FBI kind of sting. Ooh. Crouch and Moody are basically like the FBI. Okay. So Moody just happened to be brought to the school right before all this. Snape's being kept on. 
Karkaroff has to be happens to be in the picture. All of this like FBI sting type of stuff is being set up mm. so they can ensnare probably Bagman, probably Snape. I'm sure Lucius has something to do with this. Okay. Now, I don't know the particulars. I don't know who put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire. I think it was Bagman. Wow. I think Crouch is sort of like with Moody as part of like sort of the FBI type of team. Yeah. But I don't know. Crouch could be on the other side too. I'm not sure what's going on. But it just seems like the Triwizard Tournament, we will learn, is a setup to snag these guys before they can accomplish their larger plans of bringing Voldemort back to power. So you're saying the good guys are allowing the Triwizard Tournament to be put into play to harm Harry, but they're allowing it to go because then they're going to turn that into their own trap. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's my prophecy. How would you say this was a particularly difficult week for you to stop reading? Yeah, that's kind of also made me what made me think about the reading room. Yeah, it's like your desperate to desire hell with to this finish podcast. this book. I'm, to hell with this podcast. I'm locking myself in my reading room and I'm going to plow through everything through the rest of the books. I'm sorry. Well, you know, a lot of people talk about Goblet of Fire as being a real turning point in the series as a book. Yeah. And I think your prophecy is kind of, whether or not it's accurate or correct, I think that it just kind of struck me that one of the really cool things about Goblet of Fire, because I always thought I had a very clear explanation for why Goblet of Fire is such a turning point. But I actually think that it's a little more subtle than the explanation I have in my head, which we'll talk about when we do the whole book wrap up. It's almost like this is the first book where the central action is not where Harry is, it seems, right? The central action yeah. seems to be happening away from our protagonist. And he's just floating in and out of the series of events that is taking place, right? So yeah. we as readers are only getting little snatches of that. So Goblet of Fire is a very... I don't even know that it's a different tone. I think it's just that the reader's world gets a little bigger. It's more dense. It's way more dense. The plot is more dense. Definitely. I mean, if you think back to the first and second books, right. you have chapters where it's like, and then they went to class, and then here's a piece of information, and they went to this other class, here's this other secondary character, and there are ghosts that are here. But she has set all this stuff up. She has built this world so that all the pieces are into, in place so that when this super complicated shit starts going down with this godfather-like complexity to the plot, you'll be set up, but you'll know the right questions to ask. Yeah. And I understand that she is a mystery writer as well, right? Yeah. I, I've actually read the first of that series. Can't you tell they've really got good. to be good? Because it's good. She knows how to put these pieces together so carefully. Yes. And it's not in a way where you're reading it where you stop and go, wait a second. It's like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. You're like, wait a second. 
So is it the Nabu in the Trade Federation that's at war with the planet? Like when I watch Star Wars, I have to rewind. Yeah. You know, because I didn't grow up watching them. I have to wait, wait, wait a second. Who were the Nabu in trade dispute with? It's not like that. You can totally follow it. It's young adult literature. Sure. It's easy to follow, but the plot's getting sticky like a spider web. It is. And what I noticed about your reading when we got to this book is when you started going, mm, I don't think that was an accident. That's going to come up again. Like you started almost getting suspicious when you encounter and now things in I'm the writing. A paranoid yeah. lunatic. You're like mad eye moody right now. Kind of looking I'll believe anything. Like, yeah. If Hermione took her mask off and it was <laughs> Flitwick the whole time, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, but I mean it's it's what's very cool too and why this is such a rereadable series is that me not just knowing what the end game is for this book, but just knowing what the end game is for the series much of which ties back to things that are happening in this book and the last book and even the second and the first book. Yeah. It's so cool to to read it almost backwards, right? Where you read yeah. it and you go, oh, I see how she set that up now. Right. Oh, I never noticed. I'll never be able to read setup. this for the first time ever again. That's true. And that makes me really sad. I know. I was, I was just going to say, like, did you feel your heart break just like a little tiny bit? Yeah. But you've got like another third of this book to read for the first time. You've still got Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, and Deathly Hallows to read for the very first time. And if you think this is dense, oh, strap, I can't strap, wait. strap on your, so um, your I belt. I love it. I think it is fantastic. I'm so glad. This is my like midway point review of the Harry Potter series. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Oh, my God. I think it's so much fun and so colorful. And so funny. And there's so much of it that doesn't take itself too seriously, Absolutely. even though it's super serious. Absolutely. There's a lot of cheeky humor in it. Oh, yeah. Very cheeky. Definition of cheeky. Well, our Hedwig's Digital Get Down question, and we've not forgotten about our new segment, the winners and losers. We're just going to, we're saving it thank for you, the ben. end. Yes. Thank you, Ben, because that was so fun. My mom always says, amen, brother Ben shot a rooster, killed a hen. Hen died, rooster cried. Ben committed suicide. Oh, God. Well, that's um, <laughs> that's a disturbing <laughs> rhyme, Becky. Why would you do that? Okay. <laughs> Our Hedwig's Digital Get Down question comes from the warden. The warden. What is she the like? Italian ward. What is oh, she what like? Oh, what is she like? What is she like? And I thought this was a really cool question. This is going to be pure conjecture on our okay. parts, right? She said she was watching Goblet of Fire, the movie, with her boyfriend, and he asked her, well, Harry could just refuse to take part, couldn't he? And she said, well, no, because it's a binding contract. And he asked her, how so? And she said, given that there's no reference or indication whatsoever what this binding contract is, what do you think would happen if Harry refused to take part in the tournament? What are the implications of a binding contract in the wizarding world in this context? The warden asked this question? Yeah. She knows the answer. Well, I you think... You ask, it's put in Azkaban. Well, you know, I mean, I don't think that it, the consequences would have been that severe. Here's what jumps out to me. The goblet itself is referred to as a, a magical object that constitutes a binding agreement. Yeah, so I don't know if there would be a punishment coming down from, like, the ministry, which I doubt that was what Probably it would be. Probably not. I don't think it would result in harm like death, but it might be that 
the contract is like a charm in the sense that if Harry didn't participate, his body would physically be pulled to the first task. That's exactly what I thought too. Yes. He that's would exactly have to do it. That is, he could yes. get on a train and try to get the hell out of there on the way to London and his right. body would be sucked out the window or apparated and he would end up at the first task in the Triwizard Tournament. There would be nothing he could do about so it. So that's what I think. That's what I think too. I think that his legs would still take him there and then he would have no choice but to participate. Because when you think about the first task, if his legs had just taken him to face a dragon, you think he's not going to, okay, well, now I'm going to try, you know? This is like being in any sort of agreement or situation with Nikki Two Tills. Absolutely. It's a freaking binding contract. Yes. If you want to keep your legs, right. you're going to show up. You want to keep your kneecaps? They did tell us when we were zooming that they know a girl in roller derby who injured her knee so many times that she doesn't have a kneecap in one of her knees. And I got to say, I think that sounds like a pretty convenient story. Sounds like story. somebody who owes Nikki money. Absolutely. Yes. But for sure, I mean, I think it's a really cool question. And what's very, very cool about this, too, is that there are a couple of other things that are reminiscent of these magically binding agreements, arrangements, contracts that are further in the series. So I want us to kind of try and bookmark this and remember to yeah. come back and compare to the Goblet of Fire yeah. when we get to these other sort of concepts because it gets really sticky. And that's what's so fun about the series. And part of the reason I think people love it is because there's so much that you get to fill in and speculate on and Absolutely. wonder about. Same reason people love other series. For you know, sure. I'm always talking about Star Wars because I think Harry Potter is the second biggest franchise next to Star Wars. For sure. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned... The warden asks this, doesn't she know the answer? I say that because she's the warden and she runs Azkaban. Right, right. And, you know, there is a part of me that thinks that the warden would just show up at your doorstep if you refuse to participate in something that you tacitly, or not at all, Harry, agreed to participate in. I can't imagine the warden as a warden because she's so nice. She's so sweet. But those, those make the best wardens are the sweet ones. Yeah. There's she's probably nice to the prisoners. Like, absolutely. She's like, you know, you're doing your time. She's nice but firm. Yes. <laughs> I'm going first with marriage lessons. And my marriage lesson is pretty simple. It comes from Hermione after care of magical creatures, when they have grubbly plank, not to grumbly mm -hmm. plank. And Hermione says, that was a really good lesson. And the boys are like a little grumpy about this. Like, but don't you want Hagrid back? And Hermione's like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, it was kind of nice to be instructed you know, for a care of magical creatures lesson. God. Right? Like, you know, okay. But of course I want Hagrid back because he's my friend. And I just, this was such a great moment of objectivity on Hermione's part, right? And just being like really genuine about like, no, I enjoyed that. I realized that I'm supposed to feel something different, but this is the way I feel. Yeah. And it just kind of reminded me of something that I often really struggle with a lot. And I actually don't know if you struggle with this, but I'm hoping that as a marriage lesson, this is something that we can kind of like try and coach each other with is to 
let yourself feel what you feel, even if it's not what you think you're supposed to feel in a certain situation, right? So like the clearest example would be if something really horrible is happening or really sad or, you know, something that has this big emotional negative kind of weight, that it's still okay to like have a moment where you go, ah, I feel pretty good right now. Because I think I know for me, that's often accompanied by a voice that goes, "Mm, but you're really not supposed to feel good right now. And then there's the opposite is true, too, where it's like everything's going fine and I feel like total shit and I have no right to feel like total crap as good as my life is right now. Yeah. You know, there's that the switch, the reverse of it is also true. For sure. So, I mean, I think like when it's helpful to have these incongruent emotions, give yourself permission to have them. And when those incongruent emotions are not helpful, maybe that's a time to reflect on that and try to figure out if you can kind of see where that's coming from. Right. But I think it all just comes down to objectivity. Right. Like Hermione is saying, I enjoyed this lesson because I learned a lot of things I didn't know. Unicorns are freaking cool. (laughs) You know, Grubbly Plank is a good professor. All of those things don't mean that I don't love Hagrid, right? Like both of those things can be true. She was super honest there. Oh, absolutely. I loved it. So that's my marriage lesson. I like that. Thank you. God, you're so good at these. (gasps) Stop. Thanks. What's your marriage lesson? My lesson is pretty simple. Okay. This comes from the very beginning of these two chapters. This is the beginning of uh, Rita's ice cream truck. This is Ron and Hermione after their fight. Okay. Right? Some things were said. Mm -hmm. They were never settled. They were never discussed. Mm -hmm. And now there's this weird coldness between them two. Yes. And so my thing is, my marriage lesson is don't let things linger. Mm. Make sure you hash things out. Now, sometimes you get in a fight and there's still tension in the air and you can't talk about it. Yeah. The next day after the dust is settled, yeah. it's time to sort of clear the air and be like, hey, you know, last night when I said this, that's something maybe we need to talk about. Yeah. Can we explore this a little further? I don't like that this was left this way. I agree. Now, these are kids. This is not a married couple. But Hermione clearly expressed that she likes Ron. Right. And Ron, I think, surprised himself by understanding through his own jealousy that he really likes Hermione. Definitely. And now they're just back to not even being normal friends. Now it's super awkward between them. And it's like weirdly formal. And that can happen even with people that have been married for 40 years. You have some fight and you don't really talk about it. You don't really get everything out in the air. And then there's this weirdness. So my marriage lesson is don't let things linger, even if it hurts. Yeah. Bring things out into the light and discuss them so that there's always constant healing after an argument. Love that. Man, we really nailed that this week. Go Wilsons. I love it. So we're going to do Marauder shout outs, then our winners and losers, and then we'll do end of show announcements and dad jokes. And dad jokes. Yes, of course. My dad joke is is a bit of a reach, but we're going to try. Okay. Marauder shout outs. I want to know. What are various Marauder level patrons, which of the prefect taps they would prefer? Now, I'm not talking about the ones that were mentioned, like the bubbles that size of football. You just want me to make them up. I want you to make them up. What would come out of the preferred taps of the prefect's bathroom for our Marauder patrons? Okay. So we are going to start with the warden herself. 
Natalia Ward. I think that a nice tea. Ooh. I think she would turn on one of the taps and a hot tea would come out and she would have a mm. cuppa. Oh, God, that sounds amazing. Because she's refined and she's nice and she probably likes to have a nice cuppa. Absolutely. How about Dean Heath? Panthers tickets. <laughs> the, the, the tap just, just pours out. He's Panthers like, oh, tickets. shit. Oh, look. <laughs> Box seats. I love it. How about Brienne Brown? Brienne would have the best bubble bath ever, Mr. Bubbles. Oh. Remember Mr. Bubbles? Do, do they still make that? I don't know. It's, I can smell it. When I say Mr. Bubbles, can't you smell it? Oh, my God. It came in a little pink bottle, and it had a little character, a little bubble guy. Oh, I can see the guy in my head. <gasps> I love, And I remember what it and smelled Brian like. And Brian Brown, double Bs, just like the word bubbles, Mr. It's Bubble. Just, it's it, all coming together Ooh, now. it's all coming together. How about Austin Scroggins? Awesome, Austin. And you can't say awesomeness, even though... <laughs> That is absolutely no, even great. though he wakes up and pisses excellence every day. Absolutely. <laughs> I think he would turn it on and just dope beats would come out. Ooh, so yeah, so he it's like a Bluetooth like a, speaker. Blue, yes, a yeah. Bluetooth faucet. How about Heather Bevels? Probably coffee. Yeah, like a really good coffee. Yeah. Josh Bailey. Four Roses bourbon. <laughs> that, that did not take you any time at all. How about Kelly Moore? A different type of bourbon. Okay. But she lives in Kentucky. Josh yeah. is from Kentucky. Oh, yeah. I don't know what Kelly's favorite bourbon is. They're such connoisseurs way above, like, it anything that we good. know. It would be some good, 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 good Kentucky bourbon. That sounds amazing. How about Jennifer Ayers? Doesn't she live in Colorado? She does. Yeah. It would be, like, you turn it on and, like, the, the butter, like, the weed butter, like, you make edibles <laughs> with would come out. Totally legal because she's in Colorado. Totally legal. Yes. I love it. How about Ben Clark? The truth. The truth would come out of the He would faucet. turn on the faucet and the truth would come out. Holy shit. How about Samantha Tillman? Miller High Life, the champagne <laughs> of beers. <laughs> oh, God. You're bringing me back to college. You know what? She's a roller girl. Probably PBR. Yeah. Let's Probably be. Pat's Blue Ribbon. Absolutely PBR. International audience, is PBR a thing outside of the U.S.? I don't know. We hope for your sake it's not. Yeah, please. I, I'm so sorry if it is. PBR is one of those things <sighs> that it is horrible. And we love it. Right. And like, give me a cold PBR any day of the week. Absolutely. But also, please don't give me a cold PBR right. any day of the week. It's really conflicting. It's like, I don't like to buy it. But if I have it, I will drink it and enjoy it. Absolutely. I have such mixed feelings about it. They are the best for, as my Boston family would say, and maybe volume biz. Volume biz. Yeah, yes. get a suitcase of paps. Volume biz. How about Caitlin Dismuke? I'm so scared. I'm so sorry, Caitlin, about this basketball thing. But now. We can't stop. So what comes out of Caitlin Dismuke's faucet? The buzzer. <laughs> the shot clock The shot buzzer. clock buzzer. <laughs> oh, my God. How about Faith Kenfield? Butterflies. 
Oh she turns God. on the faucet and beautiful butterflies <gasps> just come out and fly around the bathtub. That is so lovely. Because she's so nice. Yes. Okay, how about Nikki Two Tills, Nick Tillman? $100 bills. Uh, they yes. just come sliding out just one by one by one. Absolutely. Like Hogwarts letters. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, Vicky got their list. Vicky. Tricky Vicky. Vic and Rick. Who we Zoom chatted with. Oh, God, we love them. And we got to meet their cat, Kitten Little. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think that Vicky would turn on the tap and treats would come out for Kitten Little. (laughs) Kitten Little deserves all the treats. Okay. Now, since this is a new segment with our winners and losers, do you think we should do like each of us presents our winner or each of us presents our winner and our loser. Let's do winner, winner, loser, loser. I thought you were going to say winner, winner, chicken dinner. Because you should have said winner, winner, chicken You're dinner. You're right. Missed opportunity. Oh, my so God. So ashamed. Okay. Well, since I went first with reading and I went first with marriage lessons, we'll keep it consistent. And I'll present my winner first. My winner. Harry James Potter. For two reasons. I think Harry Potter wins these two chapters. Because A... He steps to Rita Skeeter like a boss. I mean, it's epic. And B, he does not accept Bagman's offer to help him cheat, which Mm. I don't know that I would have turned down that offer. So I think that he really did something very admirable in that moment. I mean, he's not perfect in these two chapters. He's a little bit of a brat sometimes in these two chapters. But, you know, for a freaking 14 year old kid he's got a lot of balls and i like him who is your winner mad eye moody Ooh. okay why because he kind of puts snape in his place sure he doesn't rat out harry right he kind of helps harry out Mm Hmm. he comes in clutch and he's probably the most important fbi agent in this entire investigation i mean he's got some people's numbers that's what i will say okay now for the the sadder moment who is my loser my loser rita freaking skeeter oh it is deplorable to put something out into the world that you can reasonably expect is going to hurt someone. And the fact that she does it with this innocuous thing of words, right? The pen is sharper than the knife. What is it? The pen is the, the sword. Pen, pen is, is mightier, mightier than, than the, the sword. sword. <laughs> the, pen is, the, the pen is mightier. Okay, now I remember. The pen is mightier than the sword. Um, I'll show your mother likes it, Trebek. <laughs> but yeah, Rita Skeeter, you are a trash person. And you are my loser for this week. Now, who is Kev's loser? Don't hate me. What? Harry James Potter. Stop it. Are you kidding me? Why? Now, I kind of <laughs> felt bad once I once I heard that he was your winner. I was like, maybe he did kind of win. <laughs> but he's my loser in that he constantly complicates things mm-hmm. because of his own arrogance sometimes. And his own, he's either so insecure or so cocky that he self-sabotages all the time. He should have already worked on this stupid bath egg thing that Cedric told him about. Okay, Hermione. 
He should have been working on the egg since November 25th of the year before, honestly. I know. Then, once Cedric gave him the information, he shouldn't have waited weeks. But because he waited to go up there and do this whole thing, and then all this shit transpires him dropping the egg and all this stuff. Number two, the whole him dropping the egg and being dumb about it. Okay, well, he didn't do that on purpose. He still messed up. He's always, he's sloppy. He is sloppy, this kid. He can be a little sloppy. I would just love to say that this worked out so perfectly because just like everything else with this show, you and I don't share, like you don't share your prophecy with me before we record. No, we don't share our notes. We don't share our notes. We don't share our marriage lessons. We're definitely not going to be sharing winners and losers. So that was completely organic and spontaneous. And Ben suggested this. And if you haven't heard that, that's in last week's episode. Ben sent us a response to our questions from the week before that. And this was his suggestion for a new segment, and we loved it, and we absolutely wanted to do it. But the reason why he suggested it is that he thought it would be interesting to see where we disagreed. Yeah. He thought that would be the most interesting thing. And the fact that the very first official week we did it, I know we kind of unofficially threw them out there last week, I chose the same person as my winner that you chose as your loser. (laughs) I think um, buckle up for this segment from now on, because that's uh, that's probably the way it's going to go. Okay, we'll roll through the end of end of show announcements really, really quickly before we get to my personally terrible dad joke this week. Social media, of course, if you don't already follow us on Instagram and Twitter, go ahead and do that. With Instagram, it's at the Fox and the Foxhound. And with Twitter, it is at Fox and Foxhound. No thes. No thes. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. And all three of those outlets are perfect ways to message us questions or even just to see our posts and retweet if it's Twitter or like if it's Instagram, whatever. Or just say, hey, what are you doing? Hey, absolutely. And I'll be like, nothing, cooking dinner. What are you up to? (laughs) We'll be more interesting than that. And they'll be like, oh, nothing. I was just like vacuuming and stuff. I was like, cool. (laughs) So how's your mom? She's good. She's good. She's good. How's your sister? She's fine. Um, Did she win her soccer game? Yeah, yeah, they actually won. They're going to regionals. Listen, we like to get all up in your lives. So if you you reach out to us, this is probably not that far off from conversations we'll have. Speaking of sending us your questions, don't be shy. Email them to us at thefoxandthefoxhound at gmail.com. You can send us audio clips, video clips, typed out questions, whatever you want. We've got a couple of questions in the queue for the next couple of episodes, and they're coming in pretty steadily, but we would love, 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 love to have even more. So send them to us. There's nothing to be afraid of. Check us out on Patreon as well. We don't have, at least as of this episode, ads in our episode because we have been fortunate and lucky enough to have a wonderful patron family that allows us to kind of sustain the show just through Patreon. So be a part of that if you can. And to all of you who are a part of that, including our marauders who we just talked about, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It's yeah. patreon.com slash the fox and the fox And all of you, no matter what level you're on, you are the reason that we're able to have decent sound quality. Yes. You're the reason that we're able to have to not have to release an episode and delete another episode exactly. because of storage. Yes. It's not free it's not to free. do a podcast and no. try to do it decently right it's definitely not free it's not free to even do it not well so yes thank you thank you thank you 
Special thanks to our composer, Judson Hurd, who composed the original music for this show. Have you heard him play piano? He is amazing. And He's so good. Oh, H-U-R-D, by the way. And Judson has such a variety of things that he's worked on. Yeah. So he's worked on stuff for film. He has done traditional spiritual music, hymns, yeah. that sort of thing. He mm-hmm. also does a lot of really chill piano stuff Mm. he can do covers and original and a lot of his original stuff is just what you want when you're reading absolutely relaxing yes it's calm it's cool he's creative yes it's ambient yeah and a lot of people don't know this but when we approached him to compose the music for our show we basically he wasn't super familiar with the harry potter franchise he knew the score because it's a super famous score and because it's john williams i think who is like you know composer's god and we said we just want something that's kind of you know referencing that but of course we want it to be our own thing too and he came up with the prophecy music and the intro and i mean all the music that we use in the show so it's like yeah oh, in his studio it's wonderful also a special thanks to our manager of mischief and sometimes minister of magic and sometimes bartender and all the time miss his face so much josh J. Bay bailey right now he's the manager of missing oh don't you made me cry (laughs) oh my god i'm sure there are announcements i'm forgetting but we'll get to them next week okay do i have to do my dad joke first i have to say something about the dad jokes okay so i have two dad jokes but show off listen kind of technically three Jesus Christ. And this is why. Because the first one is so dumb that it shouldn't count. (laughs) Okay. And the second one, I have an American version and a British version of the same joke. Okay. Now I'm, you have to go first because. Okay. Yeah. So here's the really dumb one. Okay. What is the favorite snack of the office staff at the Daily Prophet? What? Doritas. That's. Boo. Yeah, see, that's why I had to come up with a different So wrong. Did you hear about the ghost girl who likes to get white girl wasted? No. Her name is Moaning Myrtle Beach. (laughs) Classy. So because I thought maybe some of our British listeners wouldn't get that joke, I made a British version. Oh, my God. Which I think our friend Peter will appreciate. I love it. And that is... Did you hear about the escaped Azkaban prisoner that likes to get white boy wasted? Who? Serious black pool pleasure beach. <laughs> Damn, you're such a show off. Why are you so good at this? That was for you, Peter. Oh, my God. Okay. Ah, the age old saying that this chapter yielded about peeves. An egg on the floor is worth boo to the filch. (laughs) I don't. I I was going for something high. That is the best worst joke I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Oh God, I'm not good at this. 
Okay, we'll be back next week. I'm going to restrain Kevin from covering five chapters or more next week, even though he's dying to get to the bottom of what's going on. We finally get the second task we next episode. We get the second task. Yes, that's the very next chapter. So it's a long one because you almost went into that chapter because you were But like, it's about 30 pages. It's 30 pages on its own. And you know it's going to be, I can show you, you the, the world. world. Wait, that's Aladdin. <gasps> Oh, oh. What's the Little Mermaid I just song? went along with it, too. Wish I could be part of, of the wizarding world. world. Oh, there's going to be so many Little Mermaid references. So be ready for that. We love you guys. We'll see you next Love week. you guys. Stay positive. <laughs>